Sentire Media. Hello everyone and welcome to A History of Italy. Episode 17, Some Silly Syracusans, Some Saracens and Sicily, Plus Pirates. For this episode, we need to step back a bit. Just a reminder that we left things going on up in the north of Italy with the death of Louis the Pious in 840. Although when we get back up north, we're going to take a step back and see how things went with his sons. But now we're going to go all the way back to the year 625. It's a quiet morning near the flourishing Byzantine city of Syracuse, Syracuse, in the southeast of Sicily. Despite the early hour, the sun is shining brightly and the sand is already very hot. Just off the coast, some ships drop anchor and a series of armed men step onto the deserted beaches. They take the city, completely unaware, and brutally pillage it, profaning churches and raping the women. Then, as quickly as the attackers had come, they disappear again. This was the first attack by the Arabs on Sicily, the first of many to come, especially over the following century. Just a few weeks before, the Byzantine fleet had met the Arab forces in the waters in front of Alexandria and had been completely destroyed. The Mediterranean, the Mare Nostrum, our sea, that had once belonged to Rome and almost exclusively to Rome for centuries, was now the property of the Muslims. All of this just a short time after Muhammad had kicked everything off. Indeed, in the year of the first attack on Sicily, he was still alive. The Muslim expansion had left the Western world reeling in shock at its speed and efficiency. The centuries that followed were a golden age for pirates, and not just the Saracens, the name that was given to the Arabs. Piracy was not new to the Mediterranean, obviously. Indeed, back in 75 BC, a band of Cilician pirates had captured a 25-year-old young Roman called Julius Caesar. Caesar and the pirates had actually become quite chummy, but that didn't stop him from making sure that they were massacred once he had got free. Another interesting Italian pirate story can be found more than a thousand years after the time we are talking about. Another interesting Italian pirate story can be found almost a thousand years after the time that we are talking about. I recently had the lovely surprise of visiting the historical center of the island of Ibiza, or Ibiza, or whatever you want to call it. I was expecting all discos and drunken English youths, which I suppose I did find, but I also found a lovely historical center with impressive medieval walls and a nice little fortress-cathedral on top of the hill. Near the port, there is an obelisk, one of the only two obelisks in the world dedicated to corsars, sort of legal pirates, you might say. 
It was erected in particular to Antonio Riquer, whose most impressive feat had been the capture of the British ship Felicity under the command of an Italian pirate, Michele Novelli, known as the Pope, El Papa. I didn't find much more info on this guy, and I would really like to because I think he'd make a great episode. So if anyone out there knows of the Italian pirate, the Pope, please write in and let me know. I'll be glad to have the info. Anyway, all of this to say that although piracy was not new to the Mediterranean and would continue to this day, in the 7th and 8th century, it really took off. The Italian cities in particular suffered a lot and many Torri Saracene, Saracen towers, sprung up along the long coasts of southern Italy. These towers served both as lookout points and as havens for the local population to seek refuge from the incursions. Although we'll see that the real occupation started much later, we can trace the first occupation of islands around Sicily in particular the island of Pantelleria, halfway between Sicily and Tunisia, to the year 700. The island of Pantelleria is delightful, with crystal blue waters, a great wine, the Pasito, and tasty capers. It is known for being an island where the sun shines all year round and where Giorgio Armani has a holiday home. When I went there in 2004, it started raining when we arrived on the Saturday and stopped on the following Thursday. Luckily, the European Cup was on at the time, so we had something to do and look forward to in the evenings. Also, if you're not crazy about flying, be prepared to land on a very short runway between two mountains. If you can get past that, then you're in for a great holiday. Let's now go back to the period when we left off. Up in the north, in the early to middle part of the 800s, in particular to the year 827. We're back in Sicily again, which had nominally been under Byzantine rule since the Gothic War in the mid-6th century. The rule of the Byzantines was becoming increasingly unpopular in the 800s with its oppressive tax system. There had also been revolts which had been suppressed. However, in our 827, a group of Syracusan rebels asked for help from the Aglabid Caliph Ziadat Allah I from northern Africa, who sent 70 ships with 700 horses and 10,000 men, including a thousand odd pirates. Now, history is full of contenders on one side calling external forces usually superior to help them fight against the other side in the contention. For example, without moving away from Sicily, it had been the Mamertines who had appealed to the Romans for help, and the Romans had then hung around for quite a while, indeed, after they had defeated the Carthaginians. Perhaps the Arabs, with their raiding habits, would be different. Perhaps they would pop in, help out, and then off they would go again. Thank you very much. Well, no. What actually happened was the start of the Arab invasion of Sicily. The first city to fall was Lilibium, which became Marsala, Marsa Allah, the port of God, which became the foothold for all future invasions. 
in the year 831, they moved northeast, and after a failed siege in Syracuse, it was Palermo which fell, becoming the seat of the governorship of the island. Due to the greatly unpopular Byzantine government, there was very little resistance as the invading forces marched across the island. Indeed, in some ways, the change was pretty good for the local Sicilians. They were now directly in contact with a rich, fresh and refined culture. The island became an emirate, nominally under the authority of Baghdad, but substantially independent because of the distance. The cities were administered by a prefect, while public order was overseen by a quaesta. The administration was at first exclusive domain of the Muslims, but in time it was opened up to the infidels and the locals came flocking due to the fixed job and salary. Justice was administered by a cadi, who could sit for up to 50 trials a day, and he would actually literally sit on silk pillows while those being judged had to stand. If things got better in some ways and more interesting, they definitely didn't get better on the tax front. Not only did the new overlords not eliminate the hated Byzantine taxes, but they increased them and even added more, including a tax on prostitution and an increase in custom taxes. There were exceptions for the Muslims, however, and that was not the only special treatment they received. Christians could not access careers in justice and the army which were only open to Muslims. However, the infidels could access all other professions, such as becoming bankers, doctors, mercenaries, moneylenders and dyers. Among the latter, it was the Jewish community who had the monopoly. The Arab influence on the island spread very quickly, most visibly in the architecture, with the first appearance of the minarets, as well as low white houses. New and interesting food quickly followed, with the Arab pastry chefs excelling and leaving an influence that can still be tasted today over a thousand years later with the use of dried fruit and honey. The Arab men would meet, particularly on a Friday, in their clubs and had very strict rules. They were not to make jokes, they were to be polite, had to wash at least once a day, perfume their beards, shave their armpits and use makeup on their eyes. They must have looked really pretty. They could be seen looking at the numerous mirrors held by slaves hanging around the streets repeatedly as they wandered around the towns. The gentlemanly behavior was then dropped in the evening when they would head off to the nightclubs to watch Indian girls dance and strip and drink black market booze supplied by Christian and Jewish smugglers. Otherwise, they would fill their free time with cockfighting, chess and small game hunting. One of the most profitable businesses on the island was the slave trade. The auctions would take place in a building with two floors, in which the most expensive and prized slaves were sold on the top floor. Slaves were used as waiters, doormen, chef and bodyguards, and many were eunuchs and looked after the harems which were not what we would imagine to be a place of depraved orgies, but simply a place where women could go to pass the time. Indeed, the word actually means sanctuary. Slaves could not only be sold, but also be rented for odd jobs. 
they didn't all have a terrible time of it. Often, upon the death of an owner, so that they could guarantee themselves an entrance into paradise, the slaves were freed, and even sometimes given an inheritance. All of this commerce was done using coins that the Arabs introduced, the dinar, a gold coin weighing 4.25 grams, and the direm, made of silver and weighing 2.97 grams. I would imagine the precision of the weights there uh, depended from the shape of the coin. The domination would last for over two and a half centuries, and the culture would leave its mark. As well as the aforementioned architecture and food, we have the education and science, particularly astronomy. The funny idea of a spherical Earth started to spread, and the first school was opened in Palermo, which was particularly strong in astronomy, as we've said, and the words nadir and zenith, for example, entered the common vocabulary. It seems that a barber in Palermo was so taken with the idea of astronomy that he purchased a sextant and would consult it before cutting hair. He would only do so if the alignment of the stars would allow him to. Sort of, sorry Mr. Ahmed, I can't cut your hair today, Venus is just not in the right spot. But, since Mars is aligning well, I can trim your beard a bit. Fun times. The conquest of Sicily continued for years to come, and even spread beyond the island. Indeed, in 841, Bari was taken and was under Arab occupation for 30 years. They even arrived close to threatening the city of Rome, but were content to raid around the port of Ostia. Syracuse fell in 878, and finally, the last city to fall was Taormina in 902. But we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves there. I don't want to leave the 9th century behind us just yet. For the moment, let us be content with the consideration that, in a period that has gone down in history as the Dark Ages, Sicily was a light in the darkness, a place of culture and education for over two centuries. That's how we'll leave the island for now, and next time we'll make our way back up the peninsula to see what was going on in the south, and then make our way back up north to see how the teetering Carolingian Empire was doing and how it ended up. Until then, as always, thank you very much for listening. If you have considerations, questions or comments, please send them to hello at ahistoryofitaly.com at the same URL, ahistoryofitaly.com, you can find some supporting information for the podcast, maps, timelines, and so on. You can click through to our social media or our YouTube page where you can see some videos on Italian cities and all other kinds of fun stuff. So, once again, thank you very much for listening. And until next time, arrivederci. Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? 
At Sentieri Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.